Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father God, we are undone by your great and wonderful mercy. Lord, it is because of your mercy and your amazing grace that we are gathered together today. Lord, if it were not for your mercy and your grace, we would have no right to come before you because we would be stuck in our sin and our rebellion. Thank you, Lord God, that you have reconciled us to yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ. At a great sacrifice to yourself, you have reconciled us so that we can be in a relationship with you. That we can come today as children of the Most High God, worship you, bring our petitions before you. Lord, you are glorious, and we praise you for your amazing grace. Father, we recognize today and we confess. Lord, that we have been lazy in many ways in our efforts to take your amazing grace and pronounce it to the nations. We get so bound up in our own world and our own things that are going on in our lives that we neglect to have compassion, the compassion that you had for us. We neglect to have compassion on the lost and take the gospel to them. But Lord God, let us not remain in that lazy state. Empower us, encourage us, motivate us, O oh Lord, by your grace and mercy, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations so that our community may know you, that the lost around us may know you, and may proclaim your glory. Lord, today speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts move us, motivate us to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost all around us. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's possible to say all the right things, but in the wrong way. You know this. Uh, you've seen two kids fighting. One kid punches the other kid, and Mama says, Now you tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. The words are right, but it's said in the wrong manner. It's said with the wrong motive. You know, it's possible for us to speak the right words, it's possible for us to speak the gospel yet in the wrong manner and with the wrong motives. Dear friends, today as we look at our text, we see how, how we speak the gospel is almost as important as what we say. Let me say that again. How we speak the gospel is almost as important as how we say it. 
Now I say almost because when we speak the gospel, the purity of the gospel, God can do wonders with it. Even if our motives and our uh, manner is wrong, God can do wonders if we just speak the gospel. But the way we speak it is almost as important as what we say. We need to have right motives. We need to say it in the right manner. And so today, or let me review a second, we're, we're in the midst of this gospel-shaped outreach study that we've been doing. Last week, we asked the question, what do we say? And Brother David gave us the, the gospel from the book of Romans chapter 3. He presented the gospel to us. We studied that more in depth last Sunday night, and today we come to that question of how do we speak? How do we speak? How do we speak the gospel? And so today we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now Paul here is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And let me just kind of give you the background before we get into the text. This is on Paul's second missionary journey. And so Paul, is, he begun his second missionary journey, and through the first part of his missionary journey, he went through the churches that he established in the first missionary journey and kind of encouraged them. He, he picked up Timothy along the way as well. And now he goes and he begins his mission works. And so if you go to Acts chapter 16, 17, you begin to see him working uh, the mission, doing the mission, taking care of the mission that he's been sent to do. And he begins with in Philippi, in Philippi. And there he has some converts. He has some very good, much luck there. He, he speaks the gospel and he sees many converted. He sees Lydia and many of those who worship with her down by the river uh, come to faith. He sees the, the conversion of the Philippinian Philipp, Philipp, jailer. There you go. Uh, you see the conversion of the jailer. And so he has great success there, but he has ran out of Philippi. He's arrested wrongfully. He's beaten, put in jail, and asked to leave quietly after all of that when he raises the point that he is a Roman citizen and he, he's not supposed, they're not supposed to beat him that way. Uh, they ask him to please leave town quietly. And so then he goes to Thessalonica, and he has a fairly good success there, but he's only there for about three or four weeks when he is again met with opposition and ran out of town. And so Paul now, he makes his way down through Athens and eventually makes it down to Corinth. And so as Paul is writing the book of Thessalonica, uh, he is in, the, in the, the city of Corinth, establishing a church there, doing work there. He spends a good bit of time down in Corinth, but he is concerned about the church in Thessalonica. So he sends Timothy back up to Thessalonica to see how things are going. He wasn't able to spend much time with them there, so he wants to make sure things are going all right. So Timothy goes and, and, takes, and sees how things are going. He comes back with word to Paul about how things are going. And things are going well, but there are some concerns. And so Paul now is writing back to them, sending them a letter to kind of 
take care of some of the problems that have arisen in the church in his absence. And one of the things that is taking place is, is that people are, are calling into question Paul's sincerity. And so Paul writes to them to assure them of his sincerity. And one way he does that is by telling them how he proclaimed the gospel among them and what manner he proclaimed the gospel among them. And so we see that in our text today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been, been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we speak glory from people, seek, seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct toward you believers for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we look at our text this morning, from our text, we're going to see four considerations for how we must speak the gospel. Four considerations for how we must speak the gospel. And my desire for you today is that you might examine your own manner and motives for sharing the gospel with others. Examine your own heart. And if there is error there, then repent Repent of those uh, wrong motives and those wrong manners and ask God to show you the right way to share the gospel. May He work in our hearts today. 
So four considerations for how we must speak the gospel to the lost. First of all, we see in our text that we must speak the gospel faithfully as bold messengers. We must speak the, God, the gospel faithfully as bold messengers. Look at again at our text, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Notice here that we see that the, the world persecutes. The world persecutes. Paul had been there in, in Philippi, and he had shared the gospel there at Philippi, and as I said before, he had much success there. He found people receptive to the gospel. He had the, the converts of Lydia and those, other, the, those others who joined her down at the river to, to worship. These were worshipers of God. And Paul went to them with the gospel and they received it with glad hearts. But then as Paul was going through Philippi, he had the audacity to free this slave girl from a demon who possessed her, and he got in trouble for that. The people didn't like that because that caused someone their livelihood, and so the town began to get in an uproar about Paul and Silas declaring the gospel among them. And so ultimately they were ran out of town. You know, that's the way it is with the gospel. Sometimes we'll have great highs. We'll, we'll speak the gospel to people, and they'll be very receptive to it. They're glad to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But at other times, at other times, they're not so glad. Sometimes they can even uh, come back at us. They can put us down. They can say, how could you ever believe in such nonsense as that? You see, when we proclaim the gospel, when we share our faith with others, there's highs and there's lows. We're in a world that is lost. We're in a world that is at odds with God. The enemies of God are all around. So naturally, when we share, we won't always have good times. We'll have some bad times. We'll endure persecution. We must endure persecution. For Jesus says... They crucify me. If they condemn me, if they curse me, how much more will they curse you? All of those who live, desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's part of the Christian life. So we need to understand as we proclaim the gospel, there will be highs and there will be lows. There will be times that people receive it gladly. There will be other times when people will despise us for our faith. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we must proclaim the gospel. We must speak the gospel faithfully. We speak the, the, the gospel faithfully. Though Paul and Silas and Timothy had been ran out of town in Philippi, nevertheless, when they came to the next town, when they came to Thessalonica, they did not shriek from their, uh, their, their call to, to speak the gospel. But they went out and they proclaimed it boldly. 
No matter what persecutions we may face, dear friends, we must be faithful to proclaim the gospel. And I want you to see this. While the world persecutes, God empowers. God empowers. Notice there again in the latter part of verse 2. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you. We had boldness in our God. Paul recognizes the power from where which the power from whom the power came for them to proclaim the gospel boldly. We can never proclaim the gospel in the midst of persecution in our own power and in our own might. If we go in our own power and in our own might, we will surely shy away. But we go in the power of God, and He will give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel faithfully as bold proclaimers. So we must preach the we must speak the gospel with boldness. Second, the second consideration for how we must speak the gospel is we must speak the gospel honestly as entrusted ambassadors. We must speak the gospel honestly as trusted ambassadors. Notice there again in our text, picking up at verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We must speak the gospel honestly as entrusted ambassadors. You know, worldly philosophers may use deceptive means to manipulate the emotions of crowds to uh, get a result. We see this, and, and Paul was familiar with such tactics even in his own day. That is one of the things that Paul is pushing back against when he says there at the beginning of that verse, verse 3 there, we did not come in error, impurity, or attempts with any attempt to deceive. There were worldly philosophers of that day who would go around from town to town and they made a, a living from their, their skill at oration, their skill to speak. And they would spout out their philosophy and, and try to sell their philosophy to the people there. And they would use their, their skills as orators to, to manipulate people, to manipulate their emotions, to, to turn their emotions, to get, to get a response from their crowds. And that then would cause the crowds to come and support them, to buy into their philosophy and... Pull out their wallet and give them money so that they can continue on to the next town to speak their philosophy. And so they had their, their goal was not so much to, to, to get converts, but their goal was to bend emotions, to get the response needed so that they could make a living. And so they, they readily used deceptive schemes, deceptive uh, devices to to manipulate people's emotions to get them to respond but Paul says I wasn't like that I wasn't like the worldly philosophers that that you guys are so familiar with I didn't come in error 
I didn't come in impurity. I didn't come with attempts to deceive you. But I came, I came with the pure gospel of God. We came to you we have, as, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. They came as ambassadors of God, entrusted with a message. The message that they spoke wasn't their own message. It wasn't their own philosophy. It wasn't their own way of life. But they came with a simple message as ambassadors of God. You know, an ambassador is one who goes to another country and speaks on behalf of the ruler who sends him or her. They don't go with their own message. Ambassadors going out from the United States, going to the foreign, these foreign lands, they don't come with their own message. They come with a message from the President of the United States. They've been entrusted with a particular message, not their own message, not their own agenda, but the message of the President. And that's what Paul says. I didn't come with you with deceptive scenes, but we came to you as those who have been entrusted with a message. A message from God, the Creator. You see, dear friends, we must speak the Gospel honestly. We must not use manipulative schemes to twist emotions. And we see this in evangelicalism, don't we? We've all seen this where, where those would, people would get up and they'll, they'll work the emotions of a crowd to, to twist people's emotions to get them to respond in a moment because they need a hand count. They need a count to go back to their sending board or their sending church and say, we had so many converted at this, out, this event. And so they use whatever means that are necessary to twist emotions, to get people to raise a hand or to come forward. We cannot fall into that. We cannot use deceptive means to twist emotions to get a response. We have one message, Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised again for the forgiveness of our sins. That's it. Twisting emotions gets nothing. Manipulating people to, to make a response earns nothing. It gains nothing. But we must speak the plain gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which God has entrusted us with. That's all we have, and that's all we need. We must speak the gospel honestly as ambassadors of the Most High God. So we must speak the gospel faithfully, we must speak the gospel honestly. Third, we must speak the gospel lovingly as affectionate mothers. We must speak the gospel lovingly as affectionate mothers. Look there, I want you to see this. A, a self-serving attitude is incongruous with the gospel. A self-serving attitude is incongruous. It's not compatible with the gospel. Look at verses 5 and 6. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. 
Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul wants to make sure that his his people there at Thessalonica, they understand they didn't come with any other pretext. They didn't come with any other uh, motive but to share the gospel with them. They didn't come with selfish motives of, of greed, seeking self-financing. They didn't seek any of that stuff. He says, even though as apostles we could have demanded from you as a church, as, a, as believers, we could have demanded from you. Nevertheless, we didn't. We didn't do that. But we were selfless. We were sacrificial. We were sacrificial towards you. We gave of ourselves. Self-serving attitude is incongruous with the gospel. However, a self-sacrificing attitude is congruous with the gospel. Continue on in verse 7. Verse 7, But... But we were gentle among you. We were gentle like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. You see, as we go to share the gospel We must share the gospel in love. We must share the gospel in love. Just like Paul, he was willing to sacrifice of himself. To give of himself. To take care of this church. To to help this church, encourage this church, to build this church up. And he uses that example of a nursing mother. Think about a nursing mother. How a nursing mother lovingly takes care of her child, just as Jason shared with the the little ones a while ago. A nursing mother holds that child and tenderly takes care of that child. She gives of herself to that child. She wakes up in the middle of the night when that child is crying to to feed the child. She does everything that she can to take care of that little child. Paul says that's how we should be towards non-believers. In an effort to share the gospel with the lost, we need to give of ourselves, sacrifice of ourselves, be willing to go out and endure Things that we may not enjoy. Like a mother nursing her children, we should take the gospel and speak it to the lost. Think about this. I remember when Gabby was younger and we lived out in Fort Worth. She was in a school there. It was an artsy kind of school in the elementary grades. And so every year, part of that, part of that school's you know, kind of closing program was they would have this big kind of a theatrical production. Uh, and, and all the kids from every age group would come through and they would sing their little part and do their little thing. 
All of us have gone through this. We've had kids or grandkids who are in dance or are singing or, or whatever. Right? And, and so every year I would go to these, these big productions and they were two or three hours long usually. Now I was only interested in one part and one person. I didn't care to see ages kindergarten through sixth grade sing all of their songs. It was kind of boring. It didn't interest me. But yet I sat through it all because I wanted to see Gabby. I wanted to be there for Gabby. I wanted to see her part in it. Think about that. As we take the gospel to the lost, we may not always do it in situations and circumstances that we enjoy. We may have to endure some things that we don't necessarily like to do. Could it be that we have to, to sit through uh, someone's recital to, to build a relationship with them, to share the gospel with them? Could it be that we'd have to take up a hobby that we're really not interested in, but it gives us a chance to build a relationship with the law so that we can lovingly share the gospel with them? We have to give of ourselves. We have to make self-sacrifice to go out and take the gospel to the lost. We have to get out of our Christian circles. We have to reach out to the lost in the places that they are share the gospel with them we must speak the gospel lovingly as affectionate mothers we must speak the gospel faithfully we must speak the gospel honestly we must speak the gospel lovingly and forth we must speak the gospel actively we must speak the gospel actively as concerned fathers Notice there in the last verses, 9 through 12, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul shifts from the, the illustration, the, the metaphor of the nursing mother now to that of the concerned father. Now think about the difference between a mother and a father. A mother is one to, to whom a child will run to when they have a boo-boo because mama will hold them tight and kiss the boo-boo and make everything better. They usually don't run to daddy to kiss the boo-boo because daddies, they'll go fix the toy that broke and caused the boo-boo, but they don't, uh, they're not so much so usually not as tender and caring as mama is, Right? And daddies are often the doers. They, they go and they do, they work, they, they give of themselves to take care of their families. And Paul switches the metaphor here. He goes from the affectionate mother to the concerned father who gets involved in the lives of his children. Notice here that he instructs them with the Word of God. 
He instructs them. Notice there at the end of the verse, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. A father instructs his children. And so just as a father instructs his children, so we too must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth in love. Yes, as we go out, we confront sin. We confront sin. We must confront sin. A non-believer has to turn away from sin and turn to God. Repentance is part of the salvation experience. And so we must confront sin. We must speak the truth and love. But notice also what a father does. Concerned father also exemplifies that truth, doesn't he? Go back to the first part of the verse. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. See, a father not only gives the instruction, he not only speaks the truth in love, but a father must also exemplify that truth with his actions. In other words, as we go proclaim the gospel, that old adage of do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. Paul says, look at my conduct, look at my character. Yes, I instructed you. I exhorted you. I gave you, told you what you need to do to be in Christ and to to live a life in Christ. But look, I didn't just speak the words. I demonstrated it to you. We came to you in righteousness. We came to you in purity. Dear friends, as we go proclaim the Gospel, we've got to make sure our own lives are worked out. We've got to be sure that we're living right. You know, it's almost impossible to share the gospel with someone when you're living in sin. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried that? Knowing that you were living in sin, knowing that you were doing things that you weren't supposed to do, yet you're going to go share the gospel with someone, talk to them about sin? Dear friends, if we're going to share the gospel with the lost, we must make sure that our own conduct, our own conduct exemplifies the truth of the gospel. We must... Proclaim the gospel actively, exemplifying the truth of the gospel with our very own lives. Dear friends, we must speak the gospel faithfully, honestly, lovingly, and actively. In short, we must speak the gospel like Jesus. We must speak the gospel like Jesus. He's our perfect example, isn't he? As Jesus Christ came, he came and he spoke the gospel faithfully. He spoke the gospel faithfully. 
Scripture says he was faithful in his obedience to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was faithful to the point of death. He gave his very life for the sake of the gospel. Dear friends, we must look to Christ as the ultimate example of faithfulness. He went to Calvary's cross in obedience to his Father's will. And he spoke it honestly. He never tried to manipulate one soul, but he spoke truth and love. He spoke honestly the Word of God. He never backed down from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, but he spoke honestly. And he spoke lovingly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him and the Son shall not perish but have everlasting life. God shows His love for us like as this, as even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came and He proclaimed the Gospel lovingly, giving of Himself completely on Calvary's cross so that we might be saved. And he spoke the gospel actively through his actions of living in a complete obedience to the Father's will, yet going to Calvary's cross to complete his Father's will and dying there in our place for our sins so that we might have life. How must we speak the gospel? We must speak the gospel like Jesus spoke the gospel. Faithfully, honestly, lovingly, and actively. Taking the gospel to the lost. Those who are dying and going to hell without Jesus. Dear friends, how is your manner, how is your motives today? Are you speaking the gospel like Jesus spoke the gospel? Are you sharing your faith out of love for those who are dying and going to hell without Jesus? If not, let today be a day of repentance. Check your motives. Make sure they're in line with the motives of Jesus. Make sure they're in line with the motives of Paul. Share the gospel with those who who most desperately need to hear it. Today, perhaps, there are those you've never heard the Gospel. You've never given your life to Jesus. you never trusted in Jesus. I want you to know that today, that Jesus, He faithfully went to Calvary's cross on your behalf. Out of love, He died. He took the shame and guilt of your sins upon His own shoulders. And with the action of His life and the action of His death, He paid for your sins so that you might have life in Him. And if you trust in Jesus today, turning away from your sin and your rebellion against God, and you trust in Jesus, He will certainly save you. Will you trust in Him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, examine our hearts today. 
Lord, if there's any ill motive or manner in, in us as your children, Lord, correct it today. And Lord, if there are those here who are lost, turn their eyes to see Jesus. Let them see Jesus. Let them see the sacrifice that he, he made on their behalf and trust in Him today. Lord, save their soul, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.